Hello and welcome to Got the Runs episode. Ooh, this is a classic. One of the classic <laughs> questions. I re-listened to some of the like first episodes we did, and by like episode four, we're like, oh, what number is it again? <laughs> I feel like, generally speaking, the first like eight to ten minutes of the podcast is us. Talking about how we don't know how the podcast doing something works. highly skippable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, now that now that like episodes are out and we can see that people are listening, and thank you by the way if you are listening. As per usual, this will come out several months after the fact, but that timeline is shrinking all the time. <laughs> uh, it's been a while, stained since we recorded an episode, but we're back in the saddle with Got the Runs. It's episode twenty-two, of course. We all go. know that. <laughs> and it's the comic with all of the sexual chemistry of so many options here. Yeah, boy, there sure are. I'm looking at a crowning television right now, so. <laughs> <laughs> a plant lady and a seal with a halberd? Do mm. they have chemistry? <laughs> I do. They barely talk of... to each other. Well, I mean, come on. There's a pretty <laughs> notable moment. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Oh, I mean, we'll get to Goose, but... Pretty much most of my time spent reading this comic was <laughs> taking screenshots of Goose. <laughs> I didn't receive any of those. I can send them all to you. But yes, this has got the runs. I'm here with the beer and candy man himself. <laughs> uh, say say his name. Don't say his name. What's the tagline to that movie? <laughs> Don't say. No, they want you to say his name. They do it's want you to thing. say his name. Well, okay, here's the thing. Now... <laughs> Let's talk about the new re- newly released. It's actually not newly released, but it'll yeah, be even older. <laughs> it'll, it probably just came out on Blu-ray. Candyman, parenthetical, 2021. So the whole thing in Candyman is that it's about this He's artist. He's like uh, Bloody Mary, right? Yes, he is like Bloody Mary. And he... So it's all about this artist who is like reclaiming the legend of Candyman. And mm-hmm. so he, like he like has an art exhibition where it's like a mirror and it invites you to say his name. Mm. And you can imagine what ensues subsequently. I have this friend Andy. <laughs> and sometimes mm-hmm. people will just... Type in Andy Man five oh. times into chat and see if he appears. <laughs> but we're, of course, we're in the midst of our discussion on of Brian K. Vaughn's work. We're discussing Saga, or Saga as some call it. <laughs> Issues 19 through 36. We're getting into the... If this were a baseball team, we'd call this the heart of the lineup. Mm. And Goose's bat and cleanup. <laughs> Uh, yes, you are the number one Goose super fan. Oh, Migusa. Oh, <laughs> As Jar Jar Binks once said. But yes, yeah, so we are talking Saga. The first thing I have written down here is I forget everyone's names, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, which was also a problem in the first episode. It was. But, but became an increasing problem in this episode. <laughs> As they introduce more and more characters. <laughs> yeah, because like, I mean, they're re- it's really, I think that almost feels like the most like Brian K. Vaughn thing about his work is like to introduce like 10 characters and then split them into three groups and they're all doing something different at the same time and it like they like interweave with each other and like come apart and come together again and like it just makes it very confusing but yes yeah, so what, let's just do our just what's going on because frankly this is a bad one uh we're looking at saga volume one of course issue 19 it's alana 
She's in a superhero-esque costume. She's in character as a zipless. Right. And then the title saga is like in lights as if it is on a marquee. Pretty boring <laughs> is my main note here. Especially like <laughs> just looking through all the other, like if you look at issue 21, which has Dengo with the skull yes, on his classic. TV. And, it's and very, he's like, mopping up blood or yeah, laying it down, question mark. Colors. <laughs> yes, yes, he's... He's laying down blood. There's a great cover with Yuma, issue 23. Like, there are lots of great covers to this run. And then this one's just, like, pretty boring, in my opinion. Yeah, it's tricky because most of the covers are basically one character sort of, like, portraits almost, or or a lot of them are. So, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's visually in line with the convention that they've been doing up to this point, which is one character standing against a background that is like fairly fairly stark monochromatic bleeding out into the larger cover as a whole which like wraps around and then that color continues onto the back uh if you've ever seen one of the actual physical issues but i don't know it's it's fine yeah maybe it's just doesn't particularly bother me i feel like when black is the monochromatic color that Mm -hmm. like just makes it less interesting by default i think but anyways so what where do we want to start here i mean i have some new reader survey questions (laughs) (laughs) you talked about we'll we'll save the reader survey questions uh till the end let's just dive right into the issues here we are picking up we left issue 18 on uh not a cliffhanger exactly but there were they were like they had successfully escaped uh from quietus uh and escaped from the now damaged prince robot and the last thing that we saw was them coming off of the ship after quite a bit of travel and hazel has leveled up is not not the word i'm looking for but grown yeah again i've been playing a lot of the sims uh Yes, Hazel Hazel has aged up from an infant, which is kind of the primary form we've seen her into, a toddler who is seen uh, walking off of the ship. She really gained some levels. Yes, she really gained some levels. There was a bit of a time skip and we jump right into things again. in this in this first issue number 19 we have the birth of uh, prince robot's son who we will eventually come to know as a squire no spoilers thank you you're welcome we get a bit of the history here of the robot kingdom which is I, the robots are are a very appealing uh, thing to me like one of my favorite elements of the comic so it's nice to get like a little bit of the history laid out more clearly even though i think it's like fairly it's it's been implied pretty clearly we get a new character introduced as well in dengo the janitor soon to be revolutionary and then back with Marco and Alana, they are living like sort of in hiding on uh, Gardenia, where they were sent to hook up with D. Oswald's heist ex-wife and join the open circuit. Uh, Marco is living the dream as a house husband. And as we alluded to, Alana is performing on the open circuit as Zipless. Yes, he's <laughs> living his life as a house husband slash hush cosplayer yeah (laughs) so he wears these bandages on his face just to hide his identity essentially yes weird choice i mean well excuse me he's also got frosted tips it's true but like it's like we see him with a beard later on in this run of issues and it's like you're a lot less recognizable with a beard than you are 
with bandages over your face. <laughs> but yes, there's a lot of I have found that so at this point it's like pretty much the norm that it's like the six issues and then they take a hiatus, right? Yeah. So and I feel like a lot of times like the new the first issue in a batch of six will often have like a lot of table setting. Mm-hmm. So like this is a good example where like it gives you like the full rundown on the robot kingdom and like you said like it's kind of what we already know or what we could already guess which is that like it's a dwarf planet they hooked up with the landfallians and then they're just like working with them pretty much but yeah uh, what i so this sort of the way this arc mostly plays out is that they're on gardenia you have this sort of domestic life and it's like for a while i almost felt like it also reminded me of Zot in a way, in the way that it sort of, it shifts the tone of the book so dramatically and shifts like what the concerns of the book are. And obviously like, there's still stuff happening, like mostly with the Prince Robot stuff and Dango, where it's still more of that, like a little, little larger in scope, a little more like political intrigue, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But then when you, the Marco and Alana side is like mostly just based around how she's doing at work. <laughs> and even though it's like weird sci-fi work and it's like, Marco mm-hmm. is like falling for this dance teacher. Yeah. It's like weird sci-fi dance teacher. But <laughs> um, so I, I actually really enjoyed this arc, like probably the most of anything, certainly as much as anything that we'd read so far. Mm-hmm. But like, I, I like putting them in this situation where it's like, you have a little bit of time to breathe. You have a little bit of time to drill down to the characters and you're using the sci-fi elements and the fantasy elements more as like set dressing and like a way of keeping things interesting than as like the primary driver of things. Yeah, it's a or Hazel introduces it through their narration on the last page of number 19 by saying this is the story of how my parents split up and they do scale it back pretty significantly. I I feel like as far as that that overlapping stuff, um, like the the Will's storyline is like pretty much on hold while we do all this stuff. Like there's the there we still have Gwendolyn and Sophie and eventually uh, the brand as well kind of pursuing that, but they're very much like the C storyline. Prince Robot again is someone who is like around and and like the dengo stuff obviously is very closely connected to his storyline but again like pretty solidly in the b plot and most of the wait hold on hold on do you think no i had uh, the burp ups oh sure uh the opposite of how the universe was created <laughs> it was created by a uh, a fart i believe oh, it was... as portrayed by isabel <laughs> right the opening page of issue 22 is what appears to be a goddess-esque figure expelling gas and saying, oopsie, I made a universe. Yes. <laughs> I did. I did indeed forget about that. Anyways, the like the Prince Robot and Dengo stuff kind of catches up with them at the end of uh, this arc. But really, like, it's mostly setting the table for their stuff in the next arc, which is like very Dengo centric, uh, <laughs> I would say. <laughs> and uh, and yeah, by and large, the page space is given over to the marital struggles that arise from Marco's emotional affair and Alana's drug use. Yeah, we don't even see I was just looking to see when we actually end up meet, like catching up with Gwendolyn and Sophie. And it's, it's not until issue 24, which is basically like a whole issue that's just devoted to what they have going on. Yep. Essentially, it also serves as the reintroduction of Goose, which we will, of course, <laughs> talk about in depth later. But yeah, well, like I said, like, I like that sort of even though it's very weird and very like could only happen in saga mm-hmm. sort of I like that that's like more about what 
the what the arc is about. And I like like the way they set it up with because like like you said at the end of issue nineteen they have the tease of like this is how my parents split up and so you sort of have that hanging over the whole situation. It ends up being kind of a fake out, but yes, uh, in the sense they that are it's physically about them split up, up physically. But, yeah. but and also just like that's sort of something that carries over through a lot of um, these issues, especially like when you have Marco and Alana being split up at times and things like that. Like sort of the the phrase in their relationship and having their relationship be a little more like it's almost like once it's not in imminent danger, then you can sort of tease out the nature of the relationship a little more. And look at how the relationship changes through everything that they go through. And I think that is like some of the most interesting stuff, especially, you know, you have this arc culminating, at least in terms of Marco and Alana's story with this like moment where Marco, you know, he throws groceries (laughs) at her is, is what he does. But, you know, like... Whether you want to characterize it as assault, whether you want to characterize what, however you want to characterize mm-hmm. it as, like them having this altercation, which sort of fractures their relationship and does have repercussions uh, as as that goes on. Yes, I was uh, I was thinking. Well, we can talk about it a little bit more later, but I I sometimes have trouble like sort of tracking exactly what I'm supposed to be understanding about like Marco. And his like relationship with violence and particularly like in the, uh, what do they call themselves? The like the revolutionaries arc. It seems like there's a moment where he sort of decides like actually like violence is the (laughs) answer. But then he's like very quickly and immediately back to like actually never mind I'm a committed pacifist. Yeah, his his relationship with violence obviously a recurring theme and an arc for his character throughout. But yeah, this is a big moment uh, at the end of this arc for that uh, side of things for sure. Yeah. So let, let's talk about the open circuit. Do you, do you like the open circuit? Like, do you think this is funny? Do you think this is a good bit? Yeah, I, I don't know. It's like it fe- it feels like it's an attempt at a comment on like a lot of different. I guess, I guess it's sort of like pulp media generally or like sort of like lowbrow media. Yeah, I don't know if I'd yeah, say that like, like funny is the word for it <laughs> necessarily. <laughs> I also don't like I'm not 100% sure that it's supposed to be like funny per se. Oh, I think it's I think it's supposed to be like biting social satire. And the I would yes, I would argue it does not succeed in that respect. Like it's just like we've seen this so many times that it's like, yeah television the opiate of the masses you mean (laughs) and then it's like oh like it's like oh it's super violent and it's like there's all these like twists and turns and it's like a soap opera i mean a character is named k fabe did you notice that that, yes which is like sure (laughs) but it's like it's not like wrestling is the most important form of entertainment in the world. It's a very specific niche. And so like to, and yeah, the whole thing with like, like Yuma says at the beginning, it's like, uh, we're not entertainers. We're actually drug dealers. <laughs> and this is like kind of a freaking drug that people take so that like they don't have to feel bad. And it's just like, okay. <laughs> it's And it's also, so it's like, you do write comic books and write television and it's like, sure, your comics and television are more, maybe more highbrow than what you're depicting here. But like, ultimately, comics especially is like a pretty, pretty low status medium, I would yes, say. Yes, I would agree. I do think there's supposed to be a bit of like, maybe not social commentary, but like industry commentary about like, superhero comics generally, and like, 
the idea uh, like there's there's definitely some like satirizing of the idea of like serialized storytelling and um like you know there's there's like hazel talks about like how stupid it is that they have like arcs for the characters on the open circuit which to me feels like it's, it's maybe a little jab about like oh like you know marvel and dc superhero comics like they 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 run forever and like any change that happens is like really only the illusion of change etc cetera, etc cetera. i don't know I, it doesn't feel necessarily to me like he's really trying to like be scathing so much as he might have just been like uh, it would be funny if there was like a wwe thing that they went to yeah i mean like I think I would probably like it more if it didn't seem like it was trying to be more than that. Like, it feels like it's, like, trying to serve some kind of, like, thematic or commentary purpose, mm-hmm. which does not necessarily work out for it me. It kind of makes me think of, like, like they this people will talk about sometimes, like, how it's difficult for actors to play a character who is a bad actor. And I feel like any time the open circuit is being shown, it's like Vaughn trying to write a bad writer. But it's so right. like, yeah, it, it's it's something so, like he has to go so over the top and like corny and like just like make it so clear that like this is supposed to be bad that it, yeah, it, it does make it feel like maybe it's like trying to be funny in a way that he doesn't necessarily intend it to. And like, in any case, it's just like, okay, we get it. It's like bad and dumb, but people like it. Yeah. And then there's that there is that also that brief moment where like the conversation, there's a conversation between Alana and Yuma, where Alana's like, yeah, I watched whatever thing on my whatever TV thing. (laughs) (laughs) My future TV, my space TV. And, like, that made me, like, a more empathetic person, basically. Mm -hmm. Which is, like, I mean, again, there's probably not room to dig into the mechanics of this. It just... It just doesn't fully land for me. But then in this arc, we also have Prince Robo, who is on Sextillion. So, what are we... Are we meant to believe he has amnesia? Or is he, like, just hiding out? So I think that he, because like, as we, as we all recall, he suffered a head injury on Quietus and then reboot. So I think that we're meant to understand that he just sort of like somehow found his way to Sextilian, not really in his right mind in some capacity still. And then they just like started feeding him like drugs and girls basically. And then like, well, whatever he says, they just like do it. <laughs> So I'm not sure if it's that he, like, has amnesia per se so much as it is, like, he has, like, an acquired brain injury and also (laughs) it's, like, actively being drugged and having information withheld from him. Right, yes. And then he sort of gets a neck injection. Mainly the reason I brought this up is because I want to talk about the splash page where... So the, the way that his story sort of culminates, at least in terms of this arc, is... He gets, like, woken up from his stupor and is told by Mama Son that his child has been born. Uh, and then upon learning that the child was born 21 days ago, there's a splash page of him blasting Mama Son's guts mm-hmm. out. and Which is a, a great page, but what I really want to talk about specifically is the lizard guy <laughs> whose tail falls off in shock. <laughs> did you notice this? I did this? not notice this. This is in number 23. <laughs> Yes, issue 21. Oh, 21. It's, like, it's near the yeah, near the end of the the issue the splash page of him blasting Mama Sun and then this uh, there's oh, lots yeah. of great 
They're like the, the crocodile guys and the lizard guys and things like that. But specifically, this lizard man whose tail falls off because he's scared. Is that like a lizard thing? Because I feel like lizard tails are like a classic like thing that shows up in like fantasy and things like that. Like, do their tails just fall off? There, I'm sure. I'm sure it's a specific reference. Oh, okay. This is interesting. When pulled by predators, lizards shed their tails in response. The self-amputation is called autotomy. The severed tail continues to wiggle for about 30 minutes, etc., etc. Okay, so, but, well, I guess that qualifies as a predator, right? Yeah, but he's not pulling on it, per se. Hold on, why do geckos lose their tail? (laughs) It says I can save 15% or more on my car insurance? I don't know. Oh, It's a real uh, me joke. Thanks. Loud noises, bright lights, or other startling stimuli, for example, can affect your gecko's well-being and potentially lead to tail dropping. So there you have it. It's a gecko. Wow. Thing. It's a gecko <laughs> thing. That's what your t-shirt says, right? <laughs> it's a gecko thing you wouldn't understand. Uh, and I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> but yes. I mean, like, do we, do we want to talk any more about Alana doing drugs or what Yuma's deal is exactly? Like... She remind I don't know who she... She reminds me of, like, a nature spirit of some sort. Like, she has, like, a cloak that seems like it's made of, like, plants and flowers. She's all green. Like, what's what's her deal? Do we, do we know? She is a plant. Can't okay. give you much more than that. She works on Gardenia. I don't, oh, I don't know. Okay. But I, I don't think she's from awesome. Gardenia, necessarily. She's just a plant, then. Yeah, it's I basically... don't know. She's a plant. She likes drugs. We hear a lot about that. She's cool. She does like drugs, that's for sure. Uh, what else? There is... Well, there's King there Robot. Is, yes, I believe I told you at one time that yes. you would soon be meeting King Robot and that it would be a life-changing experience for you. As I recall, you are reading Digital Issues. So did, were you cognizant of the fact that when he's introduced, it's a double-page splash and his head takes up the entire width of both pages? I I was aware of it, but I don't think I properly appreciated <laughs> that fact. He is He's got he's a big old head. It's like a what what do we think? Seventy two inch uh flat screen? Oh bigger. That's I'm thinking ninety ninety six, <laughs> I don't know. It's a big honkin uh big honkin' screen for sure. It's also like it has plasma TV. Oh yeah, vibes. it's like it's, and a, I don't even... it's a flat screen for sure, which every other robot we've seen has been like tube based in some regard. And in fact, Dengo, as like a member of the peon <laughs> class, we basically understand is like a black and white tube set. The right. ro- like monarch or like the royal family has color, and then of course King Robot is yeah, he's big. <laughs> OLED. <laughs> The other thing about King Robot is that he has like weirdly a weirdly human body, like a more human body than the rest of them. I feel like, like aren't the robots like when they're naked? Aren't they also like yes, gray are, and kind of like plasticky? They are like fully gray. I don't know if plasticky is necessarily the right word, but they definitely are fully gray. Right. Whereas King Robot, he has the, his shiny silver head, but then he has very fleshy human looking legs find his, uh, his which what is she oh there he is yes is he, she does it, he does have very fleshy looking legs his hands are like well first of all his scepter is a remote we 
do need to mention sure. that. And he has like, what's his necklace? Is that another I TV? Don't, I think it's just a big old emerald. Sure. But it's kind of like a TV screen yeah, type it's, beat. It's like you know? square. It kind of resembles a, a <laughs> robot head for sure. Yes. So he's big is really what I want to stress yeah, here. He's big and he's got a big old head and a remote for scepter and he so we haven't we haven't really talked about the dango storyline at all dango uh murders princess robot and kidnaps the prince robot's unnamed son shortly uh, the yes, prince the prince Link. shortly after his birth and that is the news that prompts mama son to at last bring prince robot out of his stupor and <laughs> subsequently be murdered right and like and the whole bit with Dango is almost that, like, he has, like, a tragic backstory that no one cares to hear. Yes. Yeah, kind of. It, yeah. Like, you can piece it together over the course of everything, but it boils down to, like, his son died of a preventable disease. Uh, and so he is going to topple the monarchy. Yeah. But then, but, like, everyone is just like, okay. <laughs> when I think, like, and I almost think, like, that's sort of the idea of the the normalization of the war or like the the omnipresence of the war that like it's like okay everyone has one of these stories like you're not special just because your son right. died and like, and like nobody really cares about what is happening in the war outside of its like direct effect on them yeah that's something that gets brought up as well like quite specifically is that the is that people on landfall and wreath don't really even care that much about the war anymore, or at least it doesn't like really directly impact them anymore. So they've kind of like gone back to normal while this endless war continues to be raged across like other planets. And do they say systems, galaxies? No idea. <laughs> it's a classic, like th just a l little light world yeah. building. <laughs> um, they don't like, they don't really say anything. They, they refer to like, like I'm looking at shortly after, king robots grand appearance agent gale appears to and makes reference to a place called the uncanny valley which and then like projects like a star map so it's like is that like a constellation is that a planet is that the name of a star is that the name of a galaxy <laughs> like it's a neighborhood yeah, unclear yeah it's like the clock yeah it's sort of the what we see now which is just that like they'll mention something if it's worth mentioning and other than that like the less that they explain the better what else is there well there's friendo there is friendo the pet um but we weren't uh we weren't quite done i don't think with dengo oh yeah dengo dengo a dengo stole my baby <laughs> <laughs> huh i'm laughing huh? a dengo stole <laughs> prince robot's baby and and that's like kind of it for Dengo. Like he he basically just like disappears after that. Uh, or like I mean, we see him intermittently, but what it boils down to is like he kills a bunch of people and steals a ship. And Prince Robot is supposed to be sort of like on ice uh, by order of King Robot, but once he hears from uh, Agent Gale that Dengo is on the run, he goes out to mount his own pursuit. Yes, this is a real like. Prince Robot probably has, like, the most, like, f fleshed out arc of any character over the course of these, like, 18 issues. So the next time we see Prince Robot after, like, he gets thoroughly chastised by King Robot for just, like, sucking mm -hmm. too hard. So to speak. Oh, I see he's on Sextillion. I don't know. Oh, sure. The part where King Robot talks about how 
Prince Robot's wife is going to be buried next to his oh, brother. Oh, yeah, that's, uh, that's like, tough. <laughs> because, like, that's a true honor. It's like, at least she'll get to, like, rest eternally next to a real <laughs> hero. It's, uh, it's tough for a guy. As I said, uh, I think, last episode, he definitely has a big Zuko energy. And, oh, yeah. And I think that, like, as much as that, like, he's pretty... You know, he's season one Zuko in the first 18 issues, very like fairly straightforward as a villain, uh, like compelling, but like pretty clean cut villainous in this one. As you get to like get a clearer sense of sort of like the complicated relationships, the origins of his pathos uh, and and then obviously like having his son stolen casts him into uh, a tenuous alliance with uh, Marco at the end of this arc. Um, you get to say, yeah, just start to see like that anti-hero side come around a bit more. Yeah, he has this great black outfit. Yeah, <laughs> his, that, his uh, funeral debuted. version of his regular costume. Yeah, or it's very like Return of the Jedi. Yep. So that's cool. But yeah, so so yeah, we should sort of talk about like this last couple of issues, which is sort of where things both come together and also split apart. So there's this altercation between Marco and Alana, where Marco confronts Alana's drug use and then she also talks about Ginny who is dance the teacher. the dance teacher who Marco is uh intermittently not intimate with but certainly has some kind of connection mm-hmm. to um so they fight Marco ends up leaving and like sleeping at or goes to Ginny's house they almost kiss but don't and then Marco sees Hazel's doll and goes to return it but by the time he returns Dango has shown up because he heard there was a baby. <laughs> like, no, no. He heard so, Hazel existed. He he tries to go on the open circuit so that he can like give, basically like give his right. manifesto and kills a bunch of like Hazel's colleagues, um, including her boss, who I'm just now realizing is a gargoyle and made out of rock, uh, which is good. And I like it. And he is about to kill Yuma. And she's like, if you go on the air, like, <laughs> number one, you can't go on the air. You can, like, record something here, but you can't broadcast it. So, like, sorry, shoot me in the head if you want, but that's not going to change. <laughs> but also, don't shoot me in the head because I know about this, like, hybrid baby, which is, like, she kind of talks him into it. Yeah, and also it goes back to what we were talking about before, where it's, like, everyone has a sob story. So, like... In order to get attention, you need to, like, frame it properly. And so Hazel ostensibly is, like, the way to frame it properly in order. So basically him kidnapping this prince has <laughs> now become a moot point, basically. Yeah. Um, and he has now moved on to this new idea of kidnapping Hazel. He shoots Yuma. I thought she was dead. I was bummed. She's cool. She's not dead. Spoiler alert. The- but then, so... He boards the ship, so it's Alana, here's the names again, Isabel, Clara, Frendo, Hazel, <laughs> and then Dango and the baby. Dango took my baby. Dango has at least one baby and, you know, looking dangerously close to two. Precisely. Uh, and so then, so basically, through a series of events, they end up blasting off the ship. Um, so it's the five or six or however many of them all together... Uh, Marco is left on the ground, he finds Yuma, and then they're, they're found immediately after by Prince Robot, and then the next issue is when we reintroduce Goose, 
because the brand is looking for the is looking yeah. for the will, <laughs> and so she it's is. It's funny that they like it. It is really a full issue of just like, and never mind all that stuff. <laughs> the the brand is here. It's like four issues or three or four issues of mostly just like character based stuff, and then it's like, oh, we have to like advance the plot here, so we're going to do it in this like one and a half issues. But yeah, so the brand finds Gwendolyn and Sophie. And they team up because they're both obviously interested in reviving the Will, who is still in his coma thing. Yes. And then Yuma and Marco and Prince Robot and come come oh, to yes, quietus. Yes, yes. Okay, okay, okay. Because they're looking for Goose. I forgot that Goose is actually kind of the key to this whole thing. <laughs> because the reason that they find Goose is that he has like a telepathic link to Frendo the walrus. <laughs> and so the way that they can track Hazel and everyone else is by yes. Goose's, Goose's tracking Frendo. Goose's Frendo telepathy, yes. yes. Now, one important character we haven't talked about yet is Sweet Boy. Sweet and Boy? he does shoot darts out of his nose. <laughs> What's the sound effect? That uh, is it like snuffed? I believe it is something to that effect. Let me see here. Snuffed is indeed correct. <laughs> <laughs> I nailed it. Yes, he shoots tranquilizer darts out of his nose. Uh, he's very good. He's very big. He hurt Lion Cat, but I can forgive him. He has his uh, like St. Bernard rescue people from an avalanche whiskey <laughs> barrel, yes. but it's got a skull and crossbones on it, implying that it's full of poison. <laughs> Yes, he's kind so of what, like Killer so Beethoven. So what is Sweet Killer Boy? Killer Beethoven. He is. Do you think that if you poured beer on him, he would pull a house <laughs> I down? know for a fact that he would. Much like Beethoven does in yes, Beethoven precisely. I think. I mean, he's he's like whatever Lion Cat is. <laughs> like, apparently but, it's like part of the thing that freelancers have animal sidekicks. But like Lion Cat, it's like, well, it can say the word lying. But Please, also lion like, other than sheep. that, sure. Acknowledged. <laughs> she can say the word lying, but other than that, she's like pretty much just like a normal cat. I mean, sweet she's boy, very intelligent and big. Yeah, yes, and she's but, wearing you know, like, like a saddle. I think <laughs> she's got something going on on her back. But she's like she has normal biology and physiology. I feel like we can assume. Kind sweet of. boy has white eyes and shoots darts out of his <laughs> nose. And I just need to understand how that works. I mean, exactly. how does Lion Cat know when people are lying? Because, like, because magic. <laughs> I can, I can buy magic when you're telling if someone is lying. I, can't, I can't believe that magic would allow someone to shoot a dart <laughs> out of their nose. That's that's a bridge too far. Yeah, I don't have any answers for you on Sweet Boy, other than he's very big and hairy and looks easy to love. He's red and black. He also. is red and black, yes. So, can we talk about Goose here? Yeah, sure. I was about to talk about the stock's anatomy, but this is, <laughs> this is probably better. Oh, no, go I'm ahead. I'm just confused. We get a stock by, sex yeah, scene. Just confused by the placement of things. <laughs> sure. Well, she, she does say grind against there, mm -hmm. which implies that there's no insertion taking place. That's true. Uh, other than the the time that she told the will to stick it in her spinneret. Oh, yeah, I thought it... <laughs> For some reason, I recalled that as her ovipositor, but gross either way, to be sure. Yes. Uh, but let's talk yep. about Goose, a guy who's not gross at all. So, as as you know, I uh, love yes, Goose. Yes, of course. 
And then this, in specifically in this issue, like, it was just a party for me. Because normally it's like, you're good for like, well, like, one of my all-time favorite goose shots. It's one of the first goose shots is, I believe it's like a ship is landing on Quietus and Goose, like, has his hand up and it's like, it's like being blown back <laughs> by wind from the spaceship landing. It's one of the greats. But the important thing with Goose here is that he has a halberd. He does have a halberd, um, newly acquired, in fact. Yes, we start to learn about Goose's deal. He's like a shepherd of these walrus cows that live on Quietus. Yeah. And he has sold <laughs> one of his finest beasts, yes. Frendo, and traded it for what he describes as a chopper. <laughs> and it is and a says, chopper and a half on him. Yes, it's much taller than he is. He says, <laughs> quote, a fellow like me really needs a good chopper this time of year on account of the bone <laughs> bugs and all. Which is, that's the type of world building I want to I mean, hear. I've seen the bone Especially bugs. coming from Goose. What do you think Goose's voice sounds like? Because he kind of gets, he gets written in different accents at times, I feel like. Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. As I was thinking, like, I, I usually basically hear him as kind of like a recess character. <laughs> like not I, I don't know like he's got, no more like Gus <laughs> I'm now <laughs> starting to connect some dots here but as you asked me that question I heard him in a real uh, like Farmer Chatterton voice yeah which like, is like a like Cornish English see, accent see I always read him in like a southern accent or like a you know like, you know, like okay let's mosey on out of here Chopper. Yeah, I got to get a new chopper. Uh, but yeah, I feel like he sometimes gets because he is the a classic character that gets written like where like words ending in ing get an apostrophe, mm-hmm. and like he says like musta instead of must have. Yeah, but I can never quite tell what we're supposed to be hearing him as, and it's very important to me because Goose is just one of my good friends. Of course, yeah, he's a uh, he's ambiguously accented. Sure. <laughs> Not much more to say on that front for me, my own so self. So Gwendolyn <laughs> is also here. She's basically like the Will now. She's wearing his clothes. She's yeah, using she's his lance. His cape. She's basically a freelancer uh, we now. We also see, we got our first view of like Time Skip Sophie, who is now eight years old and just way more like, like the character has changed dramatically, I will say. Um, which kind of makes sense because we can sort of imagine the life that the two of them have led in the intervening years since we last saw them, which I assume involved like a lot of killing people, a lot of hard living. And so mm. Sophie has taken a, a much more confident devil may care sort of attitude towards this <laughs> violence. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This issue again is, is sort of like, yeah, this, this arc in a way that I feel like in the, the first chunk of three, didn't didn't really have this same sort of like i guess the first arc kind of was but the ways in which this arc is like almost entirely in terms of like the major plot stuff devoted to setting up stuff that happens in the next arc feels unusual to me compared to what was in like the last or the first three arcs so this issue wraps up like basically spends the entire time showing us how all of the parties who were you know all all the different groups uh who have been like scattered to the four winds are like getting pointed back at another like an intersecting course with each yeah. other again and also like i think that was also sort of necessary 
after like the the pace of the first three arcs i do like that it takes sort of takes its time it situates most of the principal characters in one spot for a while and like allows them to do something and then it sort of kicks up again in the next few arcs um so i do like that it took the time to do that i like i said i like that it's more character driven i think that these next two arcs do a better job of balancing the character stuff with the plot stuff than the first uh, set of issues that we read. Um, So I do enjoy that. But yeah, it feels like just like a a bit of a reset, but also you can tell that I think he has a bit of a better handle on the characters at this point and like sort of starts to find the balance between how much it should be about the plot and about like the weird characters and like the world and stuff. Cause like there is like, like issue 25 is about like them trying to get dragon semen. So there is like still that stuff, yeah. but it's like, <laughs> Oh, I see. Uh, but, but I, I think in, at least in my opinion that it does a better job of balancing the different masters that it has to serve, so to speak. Yes. Uh, I so agree. do you want to talk about the dragons? <sighs> Not really. <laughs> Other than to say, this was the issue that made me be like, boy, I wouldn't hate for like a big two editor to get their hands on this book. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, this is the like the dragon auto fellatio two page splash is not where I like lost faith in the book <laughs> per se. I, I have not lost faith in the book because I still read it and enjoy it. But it does feel like the watershed moment for me where I was like, this just like isn't like for me in the same way that like his other stuff has been because if we're at a point where in this 22 page comic we think that it's worth having two pages to show a dragon sucking itself off like i'm just like is this the best use of page space that we've got because if so like i i guess i just don't like this book as much as i thought i did <laughs> yeah especially because like 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 we're saying like it has a lot of masters to serve it follows at, at this point so in in the next arc we have Gwendolyn Sophie and the brand looking for dragon semen as i mentioned which, which, like, not to derail the conversation, but even that, like, <laughs> narrative conceit is, like, is there a reason for that other than that you wanted to have a two-page splash of the dragon performing auto fellatio? It's like, true. You did choose to Why make does it... it have to be dragon scene? Like, it could be any other dragon thing. It could be I, I literally anything. <laughs> it could be literally anything. Okay, you can choose dragon semen. Like, there's some comedy to be milked from that, so to speak. Oh. <laughs> case in point uh and and again case in like point, here's some comedy just now <laughs> and like the fact that i made that joke and then laughed at it i like think goes to show that like i'm not like averse not to that kind of humor but it yeah i'm just like was the point of that to, to just to have that two-page splash because i don't feel like it's either funny or shocking enough to be it's also like it. six issues before I think five issues before we actually get to that point. And there's other stuff like the, the dragon urinates on them. Um, <laughs> that's that's pretty much only, <laughs> the only thing that happens other than that. But yes, it, it is a lot of uh, a lot of time invested to that end, which, as you say, maybe not the most economical use of page space. But yeah, like I was saying, like you have these three different groups. You have Gwendolyn, Sophie and the brand. You have... Marco, Prince Robot, Yuma, and Goose, who are looking for the ship. 
And then on the ship, or on this ice planet, you have Dengo, the prince, Hazel, Alana, Isabel, and Clara. So that's what, like... And soon to be, like, six more characters. Yeah, and these revolutionaries <laughs> who, like, you, you never even get a chance to care about before, like, 85% of them are killed. <laughs> but yeah, so that's what, like, at least... That's about 12 significant speaking characters who, like, all have these, like, relationships with each other and, like, all have their own stuff going on and also are all on, like, a quest, each one of them, like, yeah. looking for something specific. And so it's, like... You're trying to do a lot in this arc, especially with three different groups. And, like, I feel like devoting a pretty equal amount of page space to each of them in this arc specifically. Um, again, like, the Gwendolyn group sort of gets a little bit less than the other two. But generally speaking, there's a lot of everyone. So it's <laughs> you're, you're spending two pages out of, like, a hundred <laughs> on that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I I don't know. It's it's uh it's Brian's comic. He can do <laughs> he can do whatever he wants with it. And like I yeah I don't know. A lot of the uh, one of the common criticisms that does get leveled at Sokka starting around this point is that people are sort of like, where is this going? Mm -hmm. And that that like doesn't even necessarily really bother me. Like, I, I don't know, I don't mind a book that isn't necessarily like laser focused on like the A plot and like constantly moving it along. But again, like just when you have this many moving pieces, when you have characters that are like interesting and like have invested in and again, like, the, I don't know, maybe maybe this is much ado about what's ultimately like a two page gag that no, barely think... matters even like in the issue. But I, like he's got he's got lots of space to do lots of things. And if he wants to devote some of that space to comedy, like I don't think that's out of the ordinary or like unusual for the series. And I think like. I mean, like, we've already seen similar things with Fard. Like, I think he enjoys being able to, like, give Fiona Staples a description and be like, and now, like, bring it to life and letting her, like, kind of run wild and, and have fun. And there's, like, nothing wrong with that. But again, I'm just like, I don't know. What's, what's the objective of having a Cyclops with, like, Nicki Minaj's cousin's friend's testicles and a little choke a real, penis. Or, very yeah, prescient something <laughs> now when this is coming out. <laughs> or, or like, the dragon two-page splash. Maybe it's just that the style of humor isn't for me. Maybe it's that, like, it does feel, like, weirdly juvenile compared to, like, and not that the like the rest of the comic is utterly devoid of like some juvenility. Not even sure if that's a word, <laughs> but I don't. It just seems like a such an extreme like ratcheting up of that sensibility or that instinct compared to everything else in the book. That where like any other time that like sex or nudity is used, or like even played for laughs, it like feels like it has a purpose. And in those, I mean, I know that it has a purpose, but I just am like. I don't like the purpose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and especially, like, I, it's definitely hard to say, like, that Brian K. Vaughn should be excising juvenile humor from his work, because, like, that's always been a hallmark. Like, I mean, especially, like, Y is a prime example where it's, like, a very immature character so in, like, a mature world surrounded by mature people. Mm -hmm. But I feel like with this book specifically, because it's, like, about parenthood and about, like, themes that, like, not even, like, adults, but, like, older adults, like, people with families, like, would likely resonate with. Mm -hmm. It seems weird to be, like, 
like you like the examples you gave those are more juvenile than anything we see in why which is a book that's like about a young 20 something and is like aimed at that kind of audience and so it it does feel like very whiplashy to be about motherhood and grandmotherhood and like all of this stuff and then also like flip back to that and that that is i guess part of the appeal for some people but that's definitely not an ideal execution of it for sure and i think increasingly the thing that i find about this book is that like i like the characters more than i like the the world the story <laughs> and, yeah the story to some extent and like i like i like the way that the story places the characters in different situations like i like uh in the next arc when you have like clara hazel and what's her name lexus in this like prison yeah. and all the stuff that happens there like i really like that and that's another example of where it slows down it's in one location it's recurring characters who are developing over the course of several issues and so i think i like moments like that more than i like like the constant fast-paced stuff because i think there are like a ton of interesting characters like i think the relationship between marco and alana is really interesting i like you have the gwendolyn the will thing i think like clara is a super interesting character and so like just having those characters sort of like they're not sidelined, but I'll, they mostly talk about what's happening mm-hmm. <laughs> rather than like, so like, like there's one issue where it starts with the brand and uh, Sophie talking. And, the, and I was the just like, I was just looking at that as like a counterpoint. Yes. Yeah, so that there's this, there's this part at the beginning of an issue where the brand is like talking to Sophie about what an abortion is. Yeah. It like opens on sleeping lion cat, sleeping Gwendolyn. And then the brand and Sophie are roasting marshmallows over a campfire. And the dialogue is the brand saying, so yeah, that's what abortion is. And that like, I'm like, that is funny. Like that, <laughs> that is like an irreverent, that is irreverent i think in the same way that like the dragon is trying to be and is like actually funny like it's well timed it's well executed so so i'm just like it's not like he can't do it it's yeah. just that like sometimes i don't know it, it just feels like the longer the book goes on and the more popular it gets and the more freedom he sort of has to do whatever he wants the more often we get those moments where it feels very like aha like this is this is big and crazy, eh? And like the bigger and crazier they get, the more I'm just sort of like, this was way funnier when it was just like two characters roasting marshmallows in front yeah. of a fire. And like so much of, I think a lot of like the best parts of the book's humor come from like, because it is, like I said, it's a book about parenthood a lot of the time. And so you have these this relationship between older character, or like at least more mature characters and more juvenile characters because like we get hints that Isabel is maybe older than we once believed her to be but like Isabel is an example of like a childish character and like the way the ways that both parents can teach children things and children can sort of illuminate like sort of universal truths to parents I think that is like the best stuff in the book and I think what's really good about the book is that it's created so many opportunities to illustrate that because you know getting into the next arc you have prince robot and squire you have hazel and the all the different figures in her life who are like teaching her things the, the like village of yeah the exactly prison. and then you have isabel as well and you have uh who and, and sophie and so you have all these like characters who can create this sort of these moments and these interplays uh which i really like but then like 
again, it's it's usually in service of the plot. Yeah. So anyways, that's what I think about the dragon. <laughs> um, so, do we, <laughs> so do we need to well what what goes on in this? You have the dragon yeah, the dragon the dragon unfolds at like like you said an insanely slow pace. It feels like what it boils down to is they go to the the stock's home planet, collect some dragon semen, and are able to use it to revive uh, the will. The Dengo like revolutionary stuff is really the main the main thing where Clara and Alana are basically dedicated to trying to get Dengo to see that he's in over his head. <laughs> And and his like slow realization of that. Yes, fact. because he has called in these revolutionaries in order to spread his message. Yeah, or like like he 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 thinks that they want the same yeah, the, thing. Yeah, the, basically that the, ultimately their goal is to like topple the governments, and so they can somehow he doesn't even know how. It, like he specifically says, "It's my hope they can somehow use Hazel against the two corrupt empires that help produce her." <laughs> but like doesn't really know what that looks like. And yes, as as you say, ultimately, we sort of learned that they're not in this together. <laughs> they're not in the they're not interested in working with Dengo. They're more worried about like, well, it, it's not even necessarily that they're like opposed to working with Dengo. The issue, like, basically what it boils down to is when the Dengo becomes like an obstacle to their goals, they're like more than willing to sell him out in order to like keep the movement going which is like probably to the surprise of no one <laughs> other right. than dengo but like they seem pretty happy to like keep working with him and being his ally up until the point where they have like the video conference with wreath high command right. because that is ultimately their goal and like their their motives are a little opaque at times it feels like because we don't get that conversation with the wreath until what issue 29 or something like that i think so or 30 even possibly. yeah so it's like it's further in and then they're working with the oh boy which is which again wreath is the moon wreath is the moon landfall is the and planet it's the horns wreath is yep. the horns okay yeah so they're working with wreath i mean like this i i just don't think that this is like the most interesting part and like the and i don't care about these guys like there's a snake guy Yep, there there's sure a is. blue lady. There's Lexus, who is sort of wearing like a, a very open circuit inspired outfit, I would yes. say. Uh, I couldn't. Yeah, I couldn't have told you the name of any of them other than Lexus without opening it to check. <laughs> they are they are very much like a collective face for the revolution. And I, I mean, there's like good characterization moments for them, but they're in this one arc. Most of them barely speak. So it's like tough to know or care about what's going on. And most of them, of them die. Yes. Like literally all of them except one, I believe, yeah. die. But yeah, like, like, it's just crazy that there are five of them. There are there five, are five of, them. of them. Yep. In a comic that already has double digit primary characters to introduce five (laughs) new characters. And it's also like you could do this same storyline and have it just be like maybe three people because you have like like the main two are. Yeah, like there needs to be enough of them for it to be believable that they can keep Alana and Clara like in line without that much difficulty. 
and for it still to be a challenge even after they flip dengo though yeah but like if they if they flip dengo and then it's like alana clara and dengo against three people like that you know that's even numbers it's like well but then it's like what does the guy with the like they get dispatched so like summarily yes it doesn't really matter how many of them there are like what happens to the guy with like the weird helmet he gets decapitated the guy with the weird helmet the guy like the guy who lives in a furnace yeah (laughs) (laughs) the only way i can really think we have our own ways of perceiving these characters (laughs) (laughs) yeah there's the guy who lives in the furnace namorita uh lexus the snake guy and like the guy who is one of the his most like monkey belt. people <laughs> but yeah so it's like if you if you just have like the snake guy and the and namorita as you described her i mean even if you just put them all Lexus. in like faceless armor and have them be like we're the foot soldiers of the last revolution then sure. it's like problem solved you have one face to like worry about and care about and the other people can die without i don't know <laughs> I, I mean it's part of like it's I it's hard to complain about it for me because I'm like on the one hand the like wide variety of designs is like one of the strengths of the comic like yeah. Vaughn's ability to like imbue a character with personality in like one page is like one of the the benefit or like one of the the big pluses of the comic and one of his abilities as a writer that I don't mind him like showcasing and this comic has a million characters yeah like <laughs> even like more so than any other book I find i have trouble like who is this again as like when we like the when the journalists get reintroduced in the next arc it's like yeah okay i remember that they're the journalists i remember that they were doing a story about the baby and i remember that the brand silenced them but it's like See, apart even from that, that like when they read that the brand died i was like why do they care about that again <laughs> it's like oh right 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 they she gave them like that yeah. shut up drug <laughs> Yeah, and so like when you, like with stuff like that, it's just like it's so hard to remember what everyone does, and it's so like plot heavy that it just it all gets lost and it all just becomes a mishmash at some point. Uh, there's also like this there's this guy who's the stock's brother. He yeah. shows up. What is he? I don't even remember what he does. <laughs> uh, I we're supposed to believe initially. I think that he is like going to kill the brand um, and anyone with her for her role in right. introducing uh, the stock and the will and like her subsequent death. But then it turns out that he just came to like give them a present. <laughs> but I think I mean I think what he's really there for, other than to like sort of advance the plot forward, like. I think I think a problem is created for him to come and solve so that he can talk about like how he has to take care of his family and like avenging people is like a single person's game. Right. Yeah, and that's a great scene. But again, like it's just it becomes hard to track everyone. And we haven't even talked about the Yuma Prince Robot Marco Goose Squad, yeah. which is my favorite group. <laughs> primarily because whenever you have a scene Goose is in the background and like will be <laughs> reacting to things and but just like his facial expressions and like the way that he reacts to things and his sort of like uh, there's a part where he sort of like implies that he is not as innocent as he seems but like his sort of innocence in the way he reacts to things I just always find really great like there's so like yeah like you said there's this part where Marco is sort of giving into his violent tendencies he has sort of decided that he is going to be a violent Avenger of some kind and like ha- is okay with 
hurting people in service of protecting his family. And so there's this one moment in like a convenience store where he's stopping a robber where he's like violently beating him. And then Goose comes out of the bathroom, rebuttoning his overalls and says, the heck are you doing? <laughs> Another great Goose moment. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. Carry well, on. Just that there's a part where it's like, uh, there's like some fight between, Mar- it's primarily between Marco and Prince Robot. And then Marco says something to the effect of like, you guys suck. Wait, oh yeah, he says, you people disgust me. And then the <laughs> button to the scene is just to cut to Goose saying, what did I do? <laughs> Indeed. I assume you saw that at the back of issue 29, there's a bunch of people who wrote in to send pictures of their Goose tattoos. Yes, there's a lot <laughs> of Goose tattoos. Including one of that panel. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I and I will admit when I saw it, I was like, should I get a Goose tattoo? <laughs> so that's... That's where I'm at with Goose. <laughs> yeah, we love we love Goose for sure. I mean, I think if I had to pick a favorite crew, I I I'd gotta say I like the 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 Alana Clara Hazel crew mostly because of Dengo. I like Dengo as an antagonist slash like character. I like all the yeah, robots. I mean, really. I, I I like Dengo as well. Like I like him. I think more conceptually than I enjoy like hearing him talk about stuff well yeah but he also gets i like his recurring thing of like having babies like watch tv shows on his face while he kills people yes <laughs> much like uh, the mob boss and the or the woman who is accompanying the mob boss and batman begins what makes you think i want to hear you talk mm, classic <laughs> uh but yeah like i yeah, that's interesting because I like that group as well. But like I said, like I like them more in the next arc when it's when Clara has gone. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, and it's not because Dengo's gone, but I just like the setting and like the way that that whole relation, their relationships are set up in that arc more than I do in uh, in this one. Yeah, just because because like we talked about with the the revolutionaries, I, I found it difficult to follow. I wasn't quite sure what they wanted or why and like how all these pieces fit together and then they all just die and it's like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Bye. And truly like 60% of them just get killed with a sword <laughs> yeah. in like one panel. Yeah. So it's just like, okay. So yeah, Prince Robot and Marco and Goose and Yuma make their way. They run into Royal Guards of the robot kingdom uh their ship gets damaged and yuma burns herself as fuel to <laughs> to repair the ship and get them away i don't Question think mark? does she burn herself as fuel i think she just she well she goes in to repair the yeah engine and in the process burns up and is used as fuel <laughs> as a result right because she's a plant yeah. yeah and i mean you're sort of burying the lead here uh-huh. <laughs> which is that Goose attempts to make the noble sacrifice himself. Yes, and gets and knocked out with a fire. He gets bonked on the head with a fire extinguisher. <laughs> yes, a very mundane looking fire yeah, extinguisher. Yeah, like a very like our world. <laughs> and oh, his face. And he refers to himself in the third person for like the first time ever. <laughs> he says Goose knows what he has to do and Goose is ready. And then says I in the the same (laughs) word bubble. (laughs) Please tell the others that I had a real nice time on our trip. And he's like, making such a forlorn face. Yeah. It's just truly any face just makes me happy to see him. Yep. And Yuma uh, loves drugs. We're reminded. Oh, that 
that ending page, the ending splash and having that be the button to the issue, I also felt negative. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I agree. For very similar reasons to the dragon, especially because like Yuma has been like a complicated character up to this point and like having her ultimately choose to like be the one who sacrifices herself especially when the next issue is like uh, the the like sophie um gwendolyn the brand plot line is like about sacrifice also mm-hmm. uh, yeah i i it just like felt like a good moment that then is like and also she loves drugs she's so yeah. high it's it reminded me it reminds me of a uh, 21 jump street Mm-hmm. How, like, there's, like, that extended sequence where they take drugs, and it's, like, all, like, like, you know, in, like, the early 2010s, was, like... <laughs> when the funniest thing in the world was yes, drugs. Yes, well, as, as I described it in my letterbox review, plug the uh-huh. letterbox. Plug, plug uh, the like, box. Sure. Watch, like, seven. There's, like, it's, like, here's the image I'm painting. It's, there's a unicorn, like, a pink unicorn. Oh, right, And yeah. it's shooting, like, rainbow lasers out of its eyes. And there's also a bear there, and the bear, it's like late, it's like a big, the bear's roaring and a big laser is coming out of its mouth. Like, remember that type of humor? <laughs> it is very, um, like, Penguin of Doom, like, so random humor, but made, like, somehow more palatable ex- or acceptable because it's like, yeah, but they're high. Yeah, so... it's actually pretty epic. <laughs> and, like... And like Sharknado, I feel like that was the comparison I drew in my reviews. Like, this is a very much a movie from the time when like Sharknado was really funny to people. Like, it's like a bunch of sharks, but they're actually in a tornado. <laughs> That's actually pretty freaking funny. Yeah, and it feels like it comes from that like school of humor. And I'm just like, okay. <laughs> so what else? What else is there to say about this uh, this arc? What's what's the resolution of uh, Prince Robot and? And Marco, after Yuma burns up, they crash land on a planet. They crash land the same, on the ice planet. The same planet. planet that they're already on. Yeah, Prince Robot is... blasts Dingo. Right. Oh, uh, well. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I first want to go off here because we like we have talked, I think, on every episode. Maybe not the Runaways ones, but actually, no. Also, the Runaways ones about how Brian K. Vaughn's like pretty consistent use of the r slur which like up to this point i have pretty much just been like "Eh, it was socially acceptable and then in number 30 like alana drops it and then he has dengo be like don't do that and then she like punches him in the face and i was like oh okay like (laughs) (laughs) it's starting to feel less defensible (laughs) when like you have the villain being the one who's like hey, it's actually not cool to say that. And the response is to have the, your protagonist punch him in the face. Yeah, there's, I mean, like, and it's also strange because, like, I think, and we could talk about this a little later, but, like, it really feel, I mean, like, and I hate to even, like, introduce this topic of discussion, but I do think it's <laughs> worth talking about in the context of these issues is, like, the amount of, I don't, I'll, I don't want to call it, like, performative wokeness because i feel like that is a very loaded term but like very like intentional diversity like i feel like there's a specific type of intentional diversity from like white male creators that feels like apologetic <laughs> do you know what i mean yeah yeah i like it like how in saga there's like no white characters <laughs> yeah well it's, it's like it's not i don't know i don't even know if i have a point here but 
And I don't want to like <laughs> <laughs> make it I, be like it's actually bad when there's not white curtains. Yeah, it's actually like cancel culture has gone a little too far when you think about it. And that's not what I'm saying. But there is like in these set of issues specifically, and like there are like like you said, there are basically no like like cis white human male characters in the saga. But then it's the, like like the will is the one, and he also is like such like a hot mess at all times. Yeah. But then it's like in like this part, so it's like you have. Is it's like oh like Isabel makes reference to like she had a girlfriend and it's like weren't you like ten years old? No, she's like oh 17. really? I've always thought yeah. of maybe it's the Molly thing that she looks exactly like Molly. <laughs> maybe yeah. But she's I was like, think of her as being like twelve years old. No, I'm pretty sure she's like sixteen or seventeen. Oh okay, at, that's fine. at time of death. Um, but just like just to like bring that up so late in the game and have that be like a reveal that it's like oh actually she had a girlfriend and then like. I am not a fan of the way that the the trans character is portrayed in the next arc, which we can talk about. Mm -hmm. But, like, it does start to feel like, and I think he is, like, very aware of that. And I think it's it's fantastic that it's, like, like, he talks about in the reader survey, like, 50% of the readers are female. And, like, I'm sure there are a lot of, like, people of color and people of, like, different sexual orientations and gender identities that, like, read this book, which is, and, like find something to latch onto in this book, which is amazing. But then there are also parts where it feels like he is very aware of that. And so starts to sort of like make steps to not pander, but to like present different, I like different <laughs> diverse. <laughs> Go on. You're, saying, you're staying so silent. No, uh, you're, to, you're to doing present, well. <laughs> to present a diversity of characters and, have that be like almost like derailing because like it becomes jarring when a character is like it feels like a character is presented to like fit a fit a niche or like yeah like i i think what you're talking about is the way that it it starts to feel like i think early on in the book the diversity of the cast feels extremely refreshing because it's like, wow, these are like not the kinds of characters we typically see in like a popular mainstream comic as like the main characters. And I think that out of like a good place, Vaughn is like, oh, this is like really resonating with people. Like who else, like who else can I give that kind of representation to who, you know, are not used to like seeing themselves in their, like in, in comics as heroes, as prominent characters. But as you like start to include more and more people, I think what what happens is it's he it almost starts to feel like he's checking boxes on a checklist. Yeah, and then it starts that's... to feel less about like representing people and more about like, not not that it's not about representing people, but that it becomes like, all right, who have I not represented? And like, how can I make sure that like, they now are represented and, you know, like get get their moment where like, they're really spotlighted. Um, and like their identity is like given, like put front and center for a little bit so that that population can also feel like they've been represented in my comic. And like, I yeah. think that that's like good and admirable. Like that's a good instinct. But yeah, I, and, I don't and know. I, I don't even know. It's hard for me to even articulate where the line is because like, I think a really annoying thing that people often say with diversity is like, just have a gay character, but then like never mention that they're gay and like never <laughs> depict them in like a situation and like never like make allusions to like gay culture or anything like that. Like, why does it even matter that, like, they're gay? They should just be gay. Mm -hmm. And it's, like, I find that very silly because it's, like, obviously a character that is, that, like, has something in which they're the minority, whether that's a racial minority or anything like that, like, are going to have 
a different experience. And so like to ignore that feels like almost like erasing that identity of the character to some extent. Mm -hmm. And so I don't like that idea. Like I think it should be a focus at times, but then like, I, 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 I'm really just thinking about Petricor (laughs) and the way that like she is introduced and how like there has to be like two pages where she explains the concept of trans people to Hazel. And it's like, sure. I don't know. Uh, these are these are very specific complaints I have. <laughs> and like and it's like there's like a moment where it's like Hazel well like Hazel sees Petricor again and it's like, "Hi Mr. Uh, I mean Miss." And it's like, "Why would she would never do that?" Like she wouldn't call Petricor Mr because she only ever like knows her as a woman, granted like she sees like her genitalia, but it's also like ugh, that that part specifically really frustrated me. Yeah, that's fair. I'm trying to find like, I saw a letter prior to Petricor's introduction, in which Vaughn, I think, alluding to Petricor, like wrote to a reader that like, we will soon be introducing like characters who are neither male nor female. And I was like, are you talking about Petricor? Because like, (laughs) that's not how it works. Yeah. And also like, I saw I was reading like something on a wiki and it was like she is like intersex and I've heard I like I saw that as like a reference but then I also saw her referred to as trans so it's like that's very unclear. Maybe there's something more about that in the issues that we haven't gotten to yet because we are getting close to the end of like where I stopped following it on a monthly basis. But when Petricor is it? Well, actually, let's let's just quickly wrap this up, and then we can talk about Petricor more directly. We've pretty much already finished it. They are all end up on the ice planet. Uh, Prince Robot murders Dengo. Everyone is reunited. Then the Royal Guards catch up with them, and Clara, Alana, Lexus, who is the one that like surviving member of the Last Revolutionaries, and Hazel are arrested. And taken to a prison on landfall after they convince the uh, soldiers that they like have basically been kept as slaves by the last revolutionaries. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. And then Marco and Robot. Yeah. Prince Robot goes back to Quietus with the his baby. He and Goose and Goose. He like rebrands as. <laughs> Sir Robot, because he has become (laughs) a knight errant, having uh, forsaken his title by going off in pursuit of Dengo. And I imagine you love this. I am addicted to it. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And uh, names his son Squire because he is the squire to himself as the knight errant. And Marco... Marco and Alana are together now. Oh, Marco, that's right, that's right. Alana is not arrested. Hazel Hazel Hazel, goes with Lexus and and Clara, and they all get taken to prison together. This is a good part of the podcast where we talk about what (laughs) happened. Try and remember what happened. Marco and Alana are like, we're going to rescue them. That's their whole deal. The brand gets killed by the dragon, but they get its semen and are able to... Res- uh, revive the will who is mad that yes, he's alive and like orders Gwendolyn and Sophie away yes so then we like smash cut to the prison basically in number and there's 31 a bit of a time skip here as well right yeah Hazel is once again like visibly older and like speaking in full sentences which yeah. like previously she was like you know 
talking like yeah. a, like a three year old. Now she's like five. I believe probably. she specifically like celebrates her fourth birthday. Uh yeah. So there yes, there is this other like we're to understand that some months have passed at the very least. Yeah, uh, I think more than some like if you look at her in thirty one, like when when she watches Clara like cave <laughs> that guy's head in with the big mace. Her hair is like so much shorter. She's so much smaller. Like I, I it seems to, I don't know. Kids grow fast. Yeah, I guess I'd say but... it's been like less than a year, or maybe yeah. a year. It's certainly less pronounced in this skip than it is in the previous one. Yeah. And they do specifically say like she's four. Um, but yeah, so I, we are pretty quickly introduced to Petricor, who Hazel sees her genitalia. And says, you have an Audi. <laughs> Which is a great line. It is a good line. And says, are you a girl? And Petricor replies, I be Petricor. And yes, in here, I be a girl. So to me, that seems yeah. like a pretty clear cut. Like, Petricor is a trans woman. There's no indication of, like, any intersex thing happening here. There's no discussion of that at this point. So I, I to me, that seems like pretty cut Yes, I would agree. And yeah, it just feels so, I don't know. I don't know what it is exactly that makes me like dislike the way that this portrayal is. It's like, cause like, it's just like the way that it's like, oh, like children are so innocent. Like they don't actually see discrimination. Like they just see people as people. Mm -hmm. And it's like, uh, I don't know. It's just like, it's so much is made about Petricor's like gender identity and like, and not in a way that like, makes it feel like irre- uh, like relevant to the plot maybe is what i'm thinking like well i think it's it, like i it's, think it's, there's like something her identity is forefronted in the sense that people have conversations about her identity <laughs> right i think that the introduction in here in big part is like so like hazel sees petrichor in the shower and then with like on the next page it takes off her shirt and is wearing binders for her wings, which I feel like yeah, is that's pretty another... deliberate. Yes. And, but but again, like, and like, I, I really like that. And like, that's another example of like, you're getting at those themes and illustrating and also like illustrating those themes in a way that is like unique to this setting. And like, also like, I mean, there's so much, there's so much you can do with like a trans character or like the idea, because it's like, there are examples of like indigenous cultures that have like different portrayals of like people who are trans or people who like live as another gender or things like that. Like, so if you're depicting an alien culture, like there's interesting things you could do. But again, maybe like he just didn't want to tread that ground or like didn't know what would be kosher in that regard. And so maybe exercise a little restraint, but there are interesting things you can do beyond just like, this is a trans woman in the sense that we on earth like think of trans people and like that's just what it is. And then you have like this Hazel angle, which uh, like you say, I think is definitely an intentional thing where she's wearing a binder to disguise her wings. And I, that does feel intentional, but it's like, what is he getting at there exactly? Because she's removing the binders to like be like, to like, let her freak flag fly <laughs> and sort of show her true self. Yeah, it it does. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe if I thought about it longer and harder, I could uh, I could come up with something clearer. But 
I don't know, the juxtaposition, uh, but it's also because like... I do agree with you that that imagery does feel evocative of yeah, like, but like something. Petricor doesn't wear a binder because she's, she's a, a woman. trans woman. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so I'm like, I, I don't know. Is it the, I don't know. Cause I'm like, Oh, it's a juxtaposition. Like Petricor has to conceal and like Hazel has to reveal, but like, it's not like that. <laughs> and Petricor doesn't conceal. <laughs> and Petricor doesn't conceal. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. Maybe like, yeah, I'm, I'm not, I guess I'm not really sure. Cause Again, as we keep repeating ourselves, the binder imagery is extremely evocative. And feels intentional juxtaposed so closely in the same issue as Petricor's introduction. Yeah, but like, I, I, and I, I, I don't even really understand, like, how she has a one page interaction with Petricor that seems to, like, inspire her to reveal herself to her teacher because it's all about, like, how, per, the perception of people who are different right but I, I i don't know it's just it's like it just feels like there should be a lot more of petrichor before her relationship with hazel leads to hazel like right. revealing herself definitely yes i i think i yes i totally agree and like i think really what i dislike because it gets off on a really wrong foot where the way that the character is introduced is like you have this sequence of Hazel like going to the showers, you have a shocked expression on her face in the last panel of a page. And then the next page is like a full page splash of Petricor naked. And that's like how you introduce the character. And it's like, you're doing this as like, a, like it's like a splash page reveal that it's like, whoa, it's a woman with a penis. This is crazy. Right, like it's given the same aplomb as the dragon. <laughs> yes, that it's like that it's played for like whoa, like that it's like a it's like this is a crazy moment that this happened. It's just like that suggests so many things <laughs> that like I yeah. feel like I don't like. I mean, from a storytelling perspective, like Hazel is the the perspective character here. Really, it like it makes sense to an extent that like for her, it probably is a very shocking moment because. Like, obviously, from the following page in dialogue, she doesn't have any concept of what a trans person is. And she's, like, learning about something that she didn't realize existed or, like, ever even imagine existed. Mm-hmm. So, in that way, I'm like, it makes sense to to use, like, a storytelling, like, a visual storytelling device that is very much sort of like, whoa, because it's going through the eyes of this character who whose response is being like, right. whoa. But also, you doing, doing the, <laughs> Bill Simmons when, at the 2013 draft? When Bill Simmons, when the Cavaliers drafted <laughs> Anthony Bennett. <laughs> uh, and he could contribute. But yeah, I, again, like, all that is true. And it's like the same kind of page turn shock as the dragon. So <laughs> yeah, I didn't I didn't look through. I imagine he did like, get a lot of feedback with that. Obviously, I didn't look at the letters much about in the these dragon issues. you're talking about. No, oh, <laughs> about, about Petricor as a character. <laughs> so I don't know like what people thought or like how he sort of responded to that. So I'm not sure. But anyways, we've, we've talked enough about Petricor. It's just something that like very specifically stuck in my craw. And like, I'm not sure. I don't know. And again, it's like, it's hard because it's like, you don't want to like be like you want to be shaming someone who is trying to introduce a diverse set of characters 
and like show a diverse set of experiences and like and to some extent educate people but then and i, I think just like the portrayal of petrichor is like in other in such like a large way and i know like it's to the end goal is to be like discriminating against people is bad but to be like like the, it starts with, like there's this narration that starts issue 34 where it's like petrichor basically going just walking around and then she eventually stumbles upon this situation with hazel and that the plot sort of progresses from there but like it's just like we're all aliens to someone and it's like really like you're using the concept of aliens in this sci-fi world to like it's like wow like yeah trans people are kind of like aliens you're right brian (laughs) and i know that's not what he means and so it's hard to be like you should be better at this but it's also like if you are like if you're gonna do this i feel like you should do it right and like put some thought into it and you know like i mean we talked about this with back in zot when he was like trying to portray like contemporary social issues and at that it's it definitely is a contemporary social issue so in some ways yeah but like i i don't i feel like scott did it better though i i and i couldn't tell you why exactly but like nothing of what like in this in number 31 or like to the end of this arc and and it's not necessarily that he's even trying to do that but maybe that's the problem is that he's like trying to address a social issue but he's doing it in the like in between parts while also this like huge plot with a million other characters unfolds in the foreground whereas like i'm thinking of like the terry issue of zot is like so much more a personal feeling and effective mm-hmm. and emotional because she's like foregrounded and there's like a- any sense of interiority to the character that i don't know petrichor doesn't feel like she has interiority to me in, yeah, totally. in the way that like Terry does. And and before that issue, I wouldn't necessarily have said that like Terry feels like she has interiority either. But interiority. Inter- <laughs> I did That's kind what of you say said. I, Yeah, because I'm freaking hilarious. But uh, yeah, like like by taking the time to spotlight her, it makes the attempt to address like a social issue much more impactful. Whereas like having Petrichor be unpacked by Hazel from like a remove of years if we're like going by the narrative conceit dropping sort of like pithy one-liners that are are sort of like and like you should understand also by the way that that means that if you think this is bad you're wrong it just feel like it's it's true (laughs) but also like from a storytelling perspective it's like just not yeah and i actually now that you talk about that like i think it would be really cool if like i think it it makes more sense on so many levels if petrichor and again like again we're getting into just rewriting the book which is like (laughs) a fool's errand so this is the last i'm declaring that this is the last (laughs) thing we'll say on the subject but if you have them have an established relationship uh, and like devote a whole issue to their relationship then her decision to like reveal her wings makes a lot more sense because it's like this has been something that like we've seen seeded over the course of a whole issue and like yeah. that they've had conversations about right rather instead than, of and, one page where she's like oh like all all the wings sees the horns and all the horns sees the wings and her being like but i have both and and that's somehow a trans yeah and it's like so just to, like to lay it on a page by page base. It's like you have page, you have Petrichor, the splash of Petrichor. Yeah. You have a page of them talking. Yeah. 
And then the next page is Clara being like, get over here. Let's get out of here. And then you have like a final page of the stuff with Noreen and then the reveal as the final page. Like that's a five page period of time. Mm -hmm. Two of them are splash pages. One of them contains a like conversation between Petricor and uh, Hazel. Mm -hmm. So if you're, if you're blowing that up over like if you, if the conversation is like eight pages or like you introduce Petricor and then have a reveal or something like that, like, there are a lot of different ways to go about it, but like if you're if you're blowing that up and making it more about and like making that metaphor a little more explicit, maybe, and also just like giving Petricor some more characterization and not just sort of like making her a prop in that respect. And she does like she becomes she has a bigger role as time goes on yeah. in these and, issues. And, and like, in like the subsequent arcs, because like at the end of this arc, she escapes with Marco right. and Hazel. So we will get more of this character. And so maybe we just spent an hour talking about this <laughs> and are ultimately like being a little judgmental of a character who hasn't really had enough screen time to be presented in that way. But like, it's just, it's just tough when like you introduce a character on that sour note that I'm going to be like sort of judging the rest of what you do. Right. Yeah. Anyways, it's, it is tricky because Again, like, I guess just to go back to all that we said, like, ethnically diverse cast, great. Gender diverse cast, great. Like, it's it's not like it would have been better if he'd done nothing. But I guess I guess it's just like, that doesn't necessarily mean that <laughs> it's a, he's immune from criticism in, in how he's chosen to do something. Yeah, and I think but. also, like, it's just it feels like we're past the point in time where, like, we need a page being like, allow me to explain what a trans person is and how their life experience might be different from a cis person and like how they get discriminated against. Like it feels like we're past like having it be so overt and like explainative mm -hmm. that, to, that to like throw that in, it, especially in a comic with such a diverse cast, it just feels like a bit regressive to some extent. Yeah, possibly. Like this did come out in 2015. Yeah, that's which... fair as well. With, That's a like, good point. I, I don't know. If you think about this as like a pre-Trump book, I don't know. Maybe it changes like how you read it. But yeah, we're, and like we're it's in like post-Trump era. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's like we're still we're still at a point where I think like the average person does not know anyone who's trans and things like that. So like I think we are still like in the early stages of like awareness and acceptance about these things. And you're, you make a good point that it's like truly that five years does make a significant difference mm -hmm. in the terms of like trans characters. Like, I mean like, like trans visibility, general public understanding of like yeah. what it means to be trans. Yeah. Like I think of like transparent, the show mm -hmm. that was like what just coming out. Yeah. It started in 2014. I think that I always I think of that as like a very like watershed moment. Yeah. Watershed moment in terms of like public visibility in media. So it is at the forefront for sure. Yep. Yeah. Anyways, they rescue Hazel. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Is there anything else with this story, Eric? You uh, you want to discuss? <laughs> um, well, there's the return of the journalist characters, like we right, mentioned. Right. I'm sure um, back. Yes. Which just well, since I'm I was just so negative, I will continue to be negative for a little <laughs> bit longer and say there's an insane scene where they are like discussing this story and like they're reporting while having sex and it's just insane <laughs> like <laughs> they're actively having sex and are being like 
like, oh, like, I don't trust Ginny. Like, I think that she is this and this. And, like, we need to figure out if this and this. And it's like, you're having sex. Like, unless the bit is that, like, their sex is so mundane that, like, they are, <laughs> it's like, so normal about... that these people are having sex that they can just talk about their job. <laughs> yeah, well, like, there's, like, a, I feel like there are bits where it's, like, they're having sex and it's, like, what do you want for dinner? Like, we're parents. Our sex life's boring. Like, right. there are, there is, like stuff like that but it's like yeah but it's like played as a joke (laughs) yeah exactly and it's like there's none of that here it's like they're literally just like having sex and being like discussing what's going on with their work i I mean i will say this is like the era of like peak game of thrones and like sex position is like right you know (laughs) being added to the oed or something probably but but even like i don't know i feel like i i didn't watch like a ton of game of thrones but i feel like even in those scenes where like it is ostensibly a sex scene but also there is like an info dump of some kind happening or like the conversation is revealing important information to the story that there's still at least an effort to make the the dialogue like erotic is the wrong word but like Something that is, like, happening in, like, a moment where, like, someone's guard is lowered or they're, like, caught up in the mm-hmm. moment and saying something that, like, they might not have ordinarily said. This, yeah, this scene is very much, like, such a, like, mundane conversation <laughs> about. <laughs> I don't know. I almost don't want to talk about this anymore. But, like, it's, like, it is a gay sex scene and it is, like, with the straight sex scene. Like, the way that straight sex scenes are at least, I mean, like, I don't know if you can call the stock female per se but (laughs) basically what has been depicted as straight sex scenes like they're depicted in a very different way than this like there's no eroticism in this sex scene whatsoever it literally it opens on them talking about something (laughs) completely different whereas like like you have like marco and alana stuff where like they'll be having sex and then it'll be and it will segue into a conversation that is like character relevant or story relevant or exactly but it starts off with them being like (laughs) literally we're having sex and like focused on that fact (laughs) whereas this opens on like yeah what do you think we should do about this the establishing shot is well she's not the most reliable source (laughs) and again like it feels like you're treating like what what you see as other like gay sex like you're treating that as a reveal or as like like he's not playing it for laughs per se but like i think he is playing it to some degree as like a shock factor or just like it's surprising that you are depicting this but then also like you don't have two scenes to spare on what are the names upshaw and doofer <laughs> upshaw and Doff. yeah it's like you don't have two scenes to spend on them so they can't have a sex scene and also <laughs> have a conversation about how things are going and so they just get one and it's both just think if you'd taken back one of those dragon pages they could have had one page of, <laughs> of sex talk before they started talking about genie's exactly. reliability as a source uh this issue we also get another very important reveal which is yeah. that will <laughs> That was that was a lot. <laughs> and at least as far as we've gotten in this uh set of issues, like I, I've not yet seen an explanation for this. I mean, I assume the explanation is pretty simple, but like I, yeah, I think the explanation is like he's severely depressed. Right. And I won't even bother to get into the I mean Never mind. I won't even. I'm not even going to get into it. <laughs> well, I don't, yes. who knows? Maybe there is another explanation because obviously, no, he's, no, I think you're right. He's not so depressed that he can't 
travel <laughs> intergalactically and like chase leads down so <laughs> yeah i mean like and he's also like addicted to drugs yeah like uh whatever the oh it's called heroin yeah but yeah like i mean so let's let's talk about some good things <laughs> we just spent so <laughs> long being negative you as you said you really like uh sir robot and squire i do love sir robot and squire i like pretty much everything else that happens in the prison i think yeah. like I, I mean, even like in 31 as like a contrast to the Petrichor stuff, I think there's like, I mean, maybe subtle's the wrong word, but like when she's looking for Clara right before she sees Petrichor and she finds Lexus and is like, Lexus, where's Granny? And there's like this extremely like foreboding panel of Lexus with like a big old black eye and like a bruise right under her mouth, surrounded by these three women who like have their hands like on her shoulders and she doesn't even talk she just like points and i'm like that's like an extremely economical way of being like there's like a lot happening in this prison that this kid like doesn't understand or have like any concept of yeah i don't even think i caught that the first time through that's like and it's like that's so cool and it's like to follow that up which is like there's so much unsaid, there's so much implied, there's so much you can, like, bring into it as the reader, that then to, like, well, again, <laughs> we're just it's extremely it. effective, and uh, nothing else to say about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but but yes. yeah, like, the, a lot of the prison stuff is really good. Like, I think it goes to show how, like, disunified they are at the start, and then through the introduction of A Nighttime Smoke... <laughs> they like see this is like another funny thing that's like i kind of want like where's my issue where it shows how clara starts the nighttime smoke book club and it turns the prison into a community like (laughs) i want to read that issue yeah and i'll like like i was saying earlier like i love all the stuff where it's like all about like hazel is learning about the world from like all these different sources like she has noreen who's like her like teacher teacher good teacher she has petrichor who is sort of like her street As, smarts teacher, her like yeah. r- the real world yeah. teacher. And then you have like Clara and Lexus who are more protective of her. And like, so like you have all of these people like who like have an investment in her well-being essentially. Mm-hmm. And like to see that and to like sort of see all the different like things she takes from these people. And like, it's sort of telling the story because like Hazel is the narrator at the end of the day. And so we, we are seeing her growth to some extent. And so like being able to see that I think is like, cool yeah so it boils down to like the a plot is the prison and like (laughs) hazel almost accidentally kills noreen (laughs) yes by surprising her and like that that stuff is like the primary thing and we see how like all these different women from all these like different walks of life come together to protect hazel and then and then marco and alana like do a heist and recruit prince robot to help them break into the prison and rescue her which they and do goose gets a new outfit and goose gets a new outfit the hip waiters are no more replaced by <laughs> like it's like a, a fisherman's, fisherman's sweater. knit yeah. sweater and <laughs> like paddington's hat <laughs> <laughs> oh i love goose so much um and also the will shows up to like kidnap squire yeah the will's doing stuff. his whole thing yeah, so so where do we oh also well i mean Let's not forget that Goose chops the Will's fingers off. Oh, yes, he certainly does. A fantastic panel. 
Yes, you but love I love Goose. him very much. <laughs> You're very, very close with Goose. Very fond of Goose. Um, yeah, so they 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 break Hazel out. There's like two. There's like a two pronged attempt to break her out because they're trying to smuggle her out from the inside, right. while Marco and Alana are like actively trying to break her out from the outside. And both plans kind of go wrong, uh, but also kind of go right. And she escapes with a petrichor. Like they're supposed to bring out Clara and Hazel, but then Clara's like, "I'm having too much fun at book club." <laughs> <laughs> Essentially, yes. Well, she says, "Yeah, that like she doesn't want to like be a burden on Marco and Alana." And basically, like it's a classic vaude thing of like you're taking someone off the board for a while. Yeah, and you're, and like I'm sure we'll come back to her at some point. And then yes, as you said, petrichor jumps in. So. And then the final reveal is that Petrichor can somehow smell that Alana is once again pregnant. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's that's a weird thing that's like, how, what? <laughs> <laughs> Why can you smell that? Um, but yes, the big like cliffhanger ending for this chunk of issues is Alana is pregnant yeah. again. And so we end up with Prince Robot, but not, but Squires with the Will? Yeah, Squires with and the, the will. will is implied to basically be meeting up with Gwendolyn again because while he is on heroin with an E, he like sees alternately the stock and then the brand, and she tells him to go see the one chick who calls you on your bullshit, which I assume is implied to be Gwendolyn. Yes, I think that's pretty pretty uh, safe to say. Yeah. The one thing I found really interesting is how Alana has an interest in emergent technologies. Did you notice this? No. <laughs> I'm gonna send you. I'm gonna send you a picture. You can open that up. Uh-huh. <laughs> I have to s- s- download this. Ugh. Okay. Uh-huh. Oh, and I've sent David a screenshot of a panel where Alana's being punched in the face, and her sound bubble. She is saying "NFT" or "Unft." <laughs> uh, and david looks angry but he is smiling i'm surprised i didn't receive that with uh my face when caption of some kind <laughs> mfw nft mfw when i tell my friends about nft again <laughs> uh yes so robot petrichor alana marco hazel yep. and then group just one the will the squire. will and squire group two and, no, and presumably and Goose is like on yeah, ice, he gets right? knocked out right. by the will. He has a he has Speaking a boob on his head. Eyes, he's gonna he's gonna pick up a brain injury if he keeps getting clocked in the head. I feel yeah, so, like so Goose is kind of off the board. Goose, uh, Goose, <laughs> Doff, and Upshur are cruising to be uh, maybe a bit of a trio in the yeah. next arc. They just got kind of like, we're alive, yep. cool, and they're sort of following the story still. Yeah, and then Clara, Noreen, and Lexus are all still in the prison and probably will not appear for more than like a page yeah, at a time. I'm hoping that like we will, now that we have like, what, five characters, yeah, Prince Robot, Marco, Alana, Petricor, and Hazel. Like now that you have the big three together, there's less reason to focus on other people. And also, if the Will is going to be going to see Gwendolyn and Sophie, then that's sort of like, that's a great B. I think that works well. Like, I really like 
Gwendolyn and Sophie especially and like the will I can kind of take or leave but I really like having Gwendolyn and Sophie just sort of pop up and do their thing yeah so it'll be nice hopefully to have them as like a b plot to this a plot which is like this full group here but we'll see yep all right uh reader survey <laughs> yes I have a few selected questions a lot of like weirdly like political questions like he was asking <laughs> he said on a scale of one to ten how much do you support Israel's actions in Gaza? <laughs> <laughs> and he said that uh, the result said the most popular answer was one and the second most popular answer was nine. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, uh, but I'll give you a few choice ones, uh-huh. including one that you don't have the answer to, but I do. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> okay. So what was the last great novel that you read? Boy, the last great novel that I read, I'm going to go with, actually, this is a good one for you as well. If you want to get in touch with our uh, our Chinese heritage and grow to respect our grandparents more. You are laughing. <laughs> is, uh, you are that's, laughing. That's because it's, <laughs> that's a crazy way to preface uh, this recommendation. Uh, Do Not Say We Have Nothing by Madeline Tian, which is about multiple generations of two Chinese families who are affected by the various revolutions that happened uh, in China throughout the 20th century. And then uh, one generation moved to Canada. Not unlike our family. Uh, What are your ideal movie theater snacks? I pretty much always get... As we've discussed, you're a big candy guy. I am a big candy guy. I will not not get popcorn at the movies. I will sometimes also get candy, but I must have popcorn... No, no butter, just straight popcorn in all. Yeah, that's something about you (laughs) is that you don't like butter on your popcorn. I don't like butter on my popcorn. I'm actually kind of low on butter generally. (laughs) An insane statement. What about the the BTS song, Butter? Eh, never heard it. Um, (laughs) Anyways, plain popcorn, no butter, large Diet Coke or Coke Zero, depending on... (laughs) <laughs> how much their marketing has been affecting me. <laughs> um, and then I will occasionally also get a candy. I usually get fuzzy peaches if I'm going to get a candy, but I also like the the movie theater is the only place I eat nibs. So I would say I guess yeah, nibs. Is I did the... specifically think of nibs as a, uh, as a candy for yeah, you. I don't think I've ever eaten nibs without there being like a movie on in front of me. <laughs> and I would say 95% of the time that's like in a movie theater. So right. I'll go, I'll go nibs, popcorn, Coke zero is the, okay. the dream lineup. Okay. I think BKV references something very similar to me. He talks about the arc light cause he's in LA mm-hmm. coastal elite. He says Classic. like arc light popcorn with butter and like with like peanut M&Ms shaken inside, which is a classic good play. I was just eating some peanut Reese's pieces inside some popcorn when I saw Jungle Cruise. Oh, uh, surprisingly yeah. fun time at the cinema. Wow. <laughs> I, All right. I would describe it, and this is highly sacrilegious. I expect we'll get emails about this. I would say about as good as Pots of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl. Wow. A solid three and a, 3.5-er. But yeah, speaking of which, just because uh-huh. we're you know doing our late stage things... You can email us. I feel like yes. we should start mentioning this. It's part of my... And one day I'll even check the email. <laughs> it's, it's part of my starting to... We should be a better podcast project. <laughs> uh, is that you can email us at gottherunspod at gmail.com. And someone will read those. 
and we and might, it will be one of us. <laughs> yeah, maybe we'll if we get emails with people asking us questions, we'll do like a weekly mailbag or something. Um, and also Twitter, David, take it away about the Twitter. <laughs> oh d- no, that we're not ready. To, I, I mean, I guess by the time this comes yeah, out, yeah, this is months from now. Be. You can also follow us on Twitter at. About the runs pod. Yeah. David will post his comic spots <sighs> there. He is yeah. touched to you can, this. You can tweet at me about all of the <laughs> thoughts we just shared about <laughs> portrayal of race, sexuality, and gender diversity in comics at me there. Yeah, maybe, this, sure. is, maybe this is the wrong episode <laughs> for us to be like, email I'm sure everyone think. was like nodding a lot and really agreed. <laughs> um, so. <laughs> If you're looking for where to uh, direct your Twitter strike, that is where you Precisely. can do that. That was so weird. I just saw you eat a candy, but it, it like blurred out the candy. So it's like <laughs> you were like eating something censored. <laughs> oh, and this is all staying in. Do you think your parents are proud of you? Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think dad is for sure. Wow. Of me. Fascinating. <laughs> of Fascinating me indictment of our mother. Of, of me specifically. No, I think mom probably is too. Okay. Just wondering. I would say, uh, I would say that they uh, are proud and also uh, hope that there's more still to come. <laughs> That's how I'll put it. Well, we have this podcast. <laughs> That's true. And uh, I locked up my wife, which pretty much like... Yeah, Come Come on, guys. It's really your greatest <laughs> achievement. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> I think we would all agree. How many tattoos do you have? Zero, but how many have I thought about getting? Probably like five or six. So tell me what your tattoo would be, because I know exactly what mine is. I've shared it many times, maybe on this podcast. Well, the one that I have <laughs> most seriously considered is um, the two panels from understanding comics of the guy with the top hat on and then the guy with the top <laughs> right. hat being tipped to demonstrate closure <laughs> that is what i've quite seriously considered the rest are like yeah the, uh, ne- never like seriously considered beyond like i should get a tattoo right. mine's paddington in a raptors jersey donkey a basketball you know, oh, as you know. Uh-huh. No, it's, just, it's just like he's slamming it right over negative emotion <laughs> <laughs> over hatred <laughs> Uh, yeah, over freaking Donald Trump. Imagine if I just... I am imagining it right now, yes. If I had a tattoo of um, Donald Trump's face on me. I recently learned, I'm not sure if this is a one-off for a tweet or if it's a regular thing, but I saw a tweet from Mark Hamill in which he used Trump's name several times and it was always lowercase t, capital R. Like, T-Rump. Oh, T-Rump. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh. All right, go on. Great, great bit. A lot of people have really funny things to say about Donald Trump. <laughs> and this is the one that I know the answer to. What was the number one song in America on the day you were born? Oh. Do you want to take a something, guess? It's something, like, weird. I've looked it up before. It is a little been, weird. Like, I've never heard of this yes, song. it is an artist you probably have heard of. Probably not a song you've heard of. It is Blame It on the Rain by Millie Vanilli. Yeah. Most famous for their <laughs> lip-syncing debacle. You could give me a million guesses before I came up with that. <laughs> right. Mine is Creep by TLC. Yes, I used it on your uh, name, birthday name that tune <laughs> section of your trivia, uh, I Awards. Believe. This, of course, it won another thing oh, because yeah, it wins everything. We talked, talked about, about this, this last episode. extensively. I meant to only talk about those like particular <laughs> years, but yeah, it 
just go listen to the last like 20 minutes of the last episode if you want to hear about the awards it wins like freaking everything it gets nominated all the time uh for or or quite a bit for vaughn and staples also gets like quite a few nominations and wins a lot as well um so yeah final thoughts i mean we have one more arc of this it's a little sad to know that like we'll be finishing this and there won't be any resolution and he wants to do he says 108 it's like right? halfway done yeah right apparently it's been on hiatus now for almost three years yeah well, well we can talk about the hiatus more in the next episode but yeah, yeah we're coming up on the last published chunk of issues and uh, and it will be our first unfinished series that we are covering and um I will have to talk about what we want to do. I'm not sure if we'll wait for it to finish and come back or if we'll maybe like once it starts up again, we'll cover one arc as our kind of like breather episode between creators. It's a good idea. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll figure that we'll, out. We'll figure it out. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, like, like, I feel like we were very negative in this episode and sort of were last episode to some extent as well. I think just like this is just less up our alleys than Y and X Machina. And I feel like we also just like, I feel like after what we, how much we've read of Vaughn, we like kind of hold him to a high standard. Mm-hmm. And also I think that when, if you, if you don't like what Brian K. Vaughn is doing, then I feel like it's easy to like really not like it <laughs> because <laughs> it's like, true. his stuff is so sort of gonzo and specific. Uh, but I think like overall, like I wouldn't say like, Oh, it, like it was not tough to read these issues. I will say no, that at the bare I, minimum. It, the, like especially, like if you compare this to like Swamp Thing, <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's <laughs> like, exactly what I was. This thinking. is so much better than Swamp Thing. Yeah, I th- we we were quite negative throughout this episode, and I think like I kind of foreshadowed it a fair bit in the last episode. I I it might be in part that like I just feel again very contrarian to fans of saga are very vocal about it very passionate about it i'm very glad for them that it's a book that they feel excited about it's not a book that makes me feel excited in the same way but vaughn is still like uh, you know all the things that he's always been good at he's still really good at Mm -hmm. he like has only grown as a writer over time and like yeah, there's he's still we I think we've we've hit on maybe not as in great as great detail, but we have touched on like some of his strong points as far as like characterization is yeah, always a I big one. I love the characters in this. Like he knows he knows how to like pluck at those heartstrings, like he he makes good use of emotion. And like, you know, Fiona Staples, we again like we we talked about her at the end of the last episode a bit but haven't said too much and that's mostly because like she's just very effective like there's there's nothing mm-hmm. that you can say against her as far as all this stuff is going the storytelling is great the, the design is like out of this world so to speak <laughs> Come on. Uh, <laughs> yeah i really like her, her like her use of color like we sort of yeah. talked about the way she lights panels a lot um i mean like issue 34 uh the cover of goose uh standing <laughs> on the back of a walrus yes, fishing future tattoo against a sunset it's just a, it's really beautiful yeah it evokes emotion within me staples is great yeah and, and fr- vaughn hey, is, uh, is on, also great it it keeps the freaking comic book together yeah <sighs> staples is great vaughn is also great it's just like he's not he's not perfect. I don't want to penalize him for what he's trying to do, which I think is admirable. I don't want to penalize him also for like taking a swing and a miss. Like I think that 
I, I don't know. In some ways, like some of the issues that we have brought up here feel like almost reinventing comics to me in that, like, I don't think they're necessarily super successful, but I think that they are important to talk about and think about. And like, I'm glad that I'm glad that he did it or like that he that he wrote about these things. I just also think that like, they're not always executed in a way that you might like to see them and who like who knows maybe when he comes back uh or or maybe even as we get into these further issues like we'll see growth in those areas it's like like again the, the hiatus has been on so long now that for all we know when it comes back it could almost be like a whole new book basically but um yeah i do like this comic <laughs> <laughs> Even if after, yeah, I feel like it's like it's a comic. Listen to this, you might not think it's a so, comic but. that I think people talk about as a ten, and we spend a lot of time talking about how it's like it's really more of a seven point five. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, another thing is that you say that you don't want to penalize Brian K. Vaughn, but what about that dragon penalizing himself? <laughs> I knew when I said penalizing <laughs> that you were going to be jumping in with something. Um. I think that, I think that does it for this episode. I'm, I'm profoundly self-censoring myself and moving on from that protracted silence. Yes, I think we are done with this episode. We do like this book. I'm excited to get into the next chunk of issues, which uh, 37 to 54. Uh, I believe that 37 is the last issue that I read. So we're getting into pretty much new stuff for me, other than I know how this next chunk of issues ends, and I can't wait to talk about that with you. But yeah, I think uh, I think we are going to have a, a good time with some of this stuff next time. Well, I'm excited for that. Please remember to penalize and amortize <laughs> us on uh, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Give us the two-star ratings we crave. Precisely. Uh, and like David said, yes, next week, Saga 3754, we're getting to the uh, late stages of Brian K. Vaughn. And in a few episodes, we might have a, uh, a Got the Runs first. Oh, yes. But don't oh, give it away. Sorry. I don't know. Well, just, I, just, I was going to I was gonna tease it. Well, we can just bleep what you said. Yeah. Uh, and build, build hype for that. <laughs> yeah. But I'm just going to say... There's going to be a Got the Runs first, and I'll leave it at that. So be on the lookout for that. Is there anything else we need to say? Just remember to follow us and download us. And somehow that, I think, just puts money directly into our bank accounts. Is that correct? <laughs> I've been spending like it, so I sure hope so. <laughs> <laughs> well, that'll do it for this week. But until next time, to, to be, be continued. One day, I can't wait till we get to the point that we have to start editing the ones where we do that. I can find out exactly how often they are. Now, I just want to make sure that everyone out there knows... <laughs> oh, not your famous Omigusa rant. ...that according to the Star Wars w wiki, Wikipedia... Of course. We are referring, of course, to a <laughs> less than one second exchange in Star Wars Episode One, in which two Gungans see the Jedi, like, being escorted away by guards. One says, Omigusa, and the other replies, Hata Hata. One of those lines of dialogue <laughs> means, oh my goodness... <laughs> But if you're thinking it's Omigusa, I'm here to tell you that, in fact, that means by the heart of the ocean. And mm. Hata Hata, of course, means, oh my goodness.
Uh-huh. One and of the what's most the source on <laughs> that again, Wikipedia. Couldn't couldn't give you a source beyond that, other than perhaps someone who specifically edited it to enrage me. <laughs> yeah. Other than a saboteur. Yeah. Shouts out to George Lucas. He's always come up with some cool stuff mm-hmm. like that. Can't wait to see what he's got next for us.